Welcome to the Richard Urban Show, where we present news and views from God's point of view. Today, we're uh, very happy here to have with us Alan Witt. He's a candidate for the Senate, United States Senate here in West Virginia. And he's running in the Republican primary June 9th against uh, Shelley Moore Capito. So welcome again. And, you know, please um, in introduce yourself and tell us uh, about, about yourself. We'd like, like to hear that. Hey, well, Richard, I'm honored to get to be on with you and, uh, and your viewers. Um, my name is Alan Witt. I, uh, I am a proud West Virginian. Uh, I have been, the, uh, have been the president of the Family Policy Council of West Virginia, coming up on uh, seven years now. Uh, and, and we defend faith, family, and freedom uh, within the state of West Virginia, down at the Capitol, uh, at your local county courthouse, uh, at your city council meeting. Uh, but before I got here, uh, I uh, was, was honored to get to, uh, uh, to grow up in a strong family on my grandfather's dairy farm, uh, learned to milk cows uh, from uh, the time I was about uh, three. Uh, one of my fondest memories is sitting on my grandmother's lap as uh, she milked the cow and would squirt the cat in the face as, uh, as he, <laughs> he would come into the, into the milking stall. I like that. <laughs> uh, the cat liked it too. Um, but uh, uh, I uh, uh, graduated with a, a degree in communications from Auburn University where I was a decathlete. Uh, was a teammate of Bo Jackson's a long time ago, back uh, back in the dinosaur era. Uh, but uh, I am uh, uh, grateful to get to be on with you today. Uh, nothing is more important than uh, uh, than family, uh, than than faith, uh, than being able to live freely. And uh, as we all know, that politics is really a substitute for war. Uh, the more tender-hearted among us uh, hate to hear it characterized like that, but that's the reality. In in the less civilized nations, people are killing each other over differences of opinion, over differences of religion, um, over uh, you know over whose uh, whose property line uh, really is two feet farther that way versus two feet farther my way. And the United States is is blessed, uh, you know, over the last couple hundred years, uh, 240 or so, to have rarely ever been at war. We've had a small handful of times, and they've been awful, but we've been, as a country, mostly blessed to not have to fight out our disagreements with the sword. And uh, politics is kind of a substitute for that. And so people get uh, uh, get unhappy when they, they see a TV ad that's, that's biting, or uh, I saw one yesterday that our current governor is running against uh, his opponent, Woody Thrasher, that actually has an overflowing toilet with sewage, which I find to be quite distasteful. You're not going to see anything like that from me, but that's still far better than, uh, than settling our disputes in a duel in the middle of the street. That's true. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you're right. So, uh, but uh, I've been called on to be the state's chief lobbyist to defend faith, family, and freedom uh, through my nonpartisan organization, the Family Policy Council. Uh, and we are uh, associated with Focus on the Family. Uh, we are partners with several other national organizations like uh, the Family Research Council and, um, and, a, and a network of family policy councils all over the country. And so I'm called on to try to make sure that, that laws that defend faith, family, and freedom 
are being put forth and are passed and that we have the right people in place. So part of my job is to recruit candidates to run for office at the lower levels. And then my job is also to make sure that if somebody puts forward a bill that is going to take a bite out of our individual liberties, uh, is going to punish us for expressing our faith, um, or if uh, it is going to uh, uh, in some way negatively impact the traditional family unit, well, then we're going to step in and do our best to make sure those bills never see the light of the day, or if they come to a vote that we've got enough votes to, to defeat those. So that's my day job. So that's what I've spent doing for the last 10 years and the last seven years almost here in West Virginia. Okay. So what would you say are the like three most important? Well, you've mentioned several things that would indicate, but maybe you could uh, repeat or spell out the three most important like campaign platform points that you have, you know, for your campaign. Well, uh, in, in no particular order, um, the First Amendment that's, uh, that's spelled out in the United States Constitution, it unfortunately, because we live in a fallen world where, uh, where uh, man tends to look out for number one, uh, we'd like to be able to think that we all put God first, others second, and ourselves third, but that's just not reality. Uh, most people are putting uh, themselves first. It's my needs and my wants above everybody else's. And so therefore we have to have a form of governing people who, who have that mindset. And uh, Benjamin Franklin said that uh, the, uh, uh, the fact that we have a formal government is evidence of the failure of the people to be able to govern themselves. So it's what we're, it's what we're dealing with, what we're left with. So we have to make the best of, uh, of not a great situation. And that is uh, try to put good people in office uh, to, to help govern. And uh, the, the thing that's, the, that pops up on my radar very quickly is that the Constitution says that we've got the, the First Amendment right of free speech, or the very first time that our founding fathers had to go in and make a change or make an edit to the Constitution. Mm-hmm. That very First Amendment said, we shall protect free speech. But the Second Amendment says, well, unfortunately, because we're dealing with some people who put themselves first, we need the Second Amendment. We're going to have to have the right to bear arms in order to protect the First Amendment. So uh, we've seen a resurgence as of late, uh, especially in West Virginia, with uh, many of our counties and even smaller burgs and towns uh, rising up in the last few months. I was able to participate in the very first one uh, down in Fort Gay, West Virginia, where a local city council says, hey, we're going to become a sanctuary city for the Second Amendment you shall not infringe upon the Second Amendment in Fort Gay, West Virginia. And then we had multiple county uh, commissions began to pick that mantra up. Uh, We followed, obviously, on the heels of Virginia. That's interesting. Let me ask a question. So I know that was a thing in Virginia with Governor Northam, whatever, passing the the red flag type laws. Is that a thing here in West Virginia, too? I mean, is it, do you feel it's really needed? What's coming down the pike? Is there something maybe I don't know about? Well, uh, most of the counties in West Virginia, not all, uh, I think close to 90% now, have also followed suit, followed Virginia's lead after, you know, the governor in in Virginia began to say some very scary and unconstitutional things. So basically in solidarity with uh, with our sister uh, uh, East Virginia, as I like to refer to them, uh, the, the Commonwealth of Virginia, it was more of a solidarity move when our counties and some of our cities began to say, hey, 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 we are 
just in case any public official here were to ever stand up and say, we're going to begin to infringe upon the Second Amendment like the governor did in Virginia, well, we're going to be ahead of the curve and we're not going to be reactionary. We're going to be proactive. And that's what that was about in West Virginia. Okay. Yeah. Well, you know, I was going to ask you about, so interestingly, like with the current, you know, lockdowns, I mean, to me, I believe that's very unconstitutional. And I'm not happy with Governor Justice just to say randomly, and of course, he's uh, with whatever, 45 other governors of 43, saying, hey, you know, you, ca you can't gather more than five or 10 or 50. Hey, don't go out of your house, you know, go, go to this store, don't go to that store, don't open your business. Do you feel those lockdowns are unconstitutional? Well, we do have a Supreme Court precedent that allows governors, specific, very specifically, in times of quarantine, to be able to restrict movement of, 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 of the state's citizens. Now, the president of the United States doesn't have it, but in 1826 or 1828, I forget that which date, uh, we had a case in Pennsylvania specifically about quarantines. And that case uh, still looms large, so much so that um, they actually have a, a concept called the, the quarantine effect. Um, when, uh, when something is, is challenged on the constitutional level, it has to work its way up through your local state courts and through the, the federal district courts, and then all the way, hopefully the Supreme Court will take it up. But so this quarantine effect uh, basically means that if, if a governor puts a quarantine into place, by the time someone who can, can challenge its constitutionality, the quarantine will likely have already been lifted. And so most people don't bother to follow through with the, uh, with the years of, of court cases that, that it would take, especially if you actually do have something like uh, uh, COVID-19 where we're actually seeing uh, people pass away, actually people uh, uh, being, being maimed, uh, losing limbs, et cetera, when, when, the, when the public can actually see that at least some of their friends and neighbors are ill and are, are, are leaving us, well, then it's not very politically popular uh, for someone then to begin to, to try to sue to lift a quarantine. So uh, I do believe that governors have the constitutional right to, to do so, but here's where we run into problems, and that is the governor should not be allowed to pick and choose which entities are open. This concept of, well, you're essential versus non-essential. My goodness, uh, that, that, that 1800s court case most certainly did not uh, define uh, essential workers and, and picking winners and losers. For example, you can go to Walmart right now uh, and see the long lines and see the, the social distancing X's marked off on the sidewalk and there's people coming and going all day long or, or the big box stores uh, Lowe's and Home Depot and some of those others, but Ace Hardware's are closed. Your mom and pop, um, you know, uh, hardware store in uh, in small town West Virginia are closed. Um, your your restaurants are closed um, for for in seating dining, or at least most of them were. Well, right. It seems rather random. I mean, I hadn't heard about that. What were they quarantining for in that rule you're talking about? I never heard that argument. I mean, I've seen a lot of discussion of constitutional issues, and I believe those are, are very important. I mean, I don't see anywhere in the West Virginia U.S. Constitution where it's saying about anything like this. I've never heard of such thing. Usually quarantine sick people, not well people. 
Well, and there's another another point that's going to have to be determined, and I, I'm confident it will be vetted this time. We're we're at a different time uh, in, in in civilization, and I believe that uh, some some of our constitutionalists are going to actually press forward on these abuses of power. Because when you say a church like uh, like Governor Bashir in Kentucky next door, uh, when a church said, "Well, we're we're not going to actually meet. We're just going to all pull up in the parking lot. We're going to stay in our cars and we're going to listen to the the weekly services." You know, um, you know, over the, the loudspeaker. Right, I heard about that. And Governor Bashir says, no, 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 you're not. You're not even going to drive into the parking lot. Okay, there was zero risk of contamination of people driving up in their cars and listening right. to someone on a loudspeaker. But no, no, you're not going to. And said, uh, we'll, uh, we'll fine you. Uh, we'll incar- if you don't pay the fine, we'll incarcerate you, take away your freedom. Well, this is lunacy. And so we're gonna, this is going to have to all be vetted out. Uh, I'm going to encourage some of my colleagues that are constitutional attorneys to press forward. And, and I'm, I, they won't even need my encouragement. There are going to be a multitude of laws, constitutionally based yeah. lawsuits, that challenge this portion. Yeah, in Maryland, I know there's already a case of some of the delegates. The delegate claims that actually, well, he was threatened even, you know, by the whatever state police told him, hey, you might be arrested. But um, that's pretty outrageous. Um, yeah, well, I know I asked you about three points. I do have some questions, but did you have another point you wanted to make to get back well, to that question? The First Amendment has to be defended. And, uh, and we're at a place where we're having to defend First Amendment issues that we thought we never would before, like, like basic biology. Uh, I hold to the traditional and scientific belief that uh, humanity is bifurcated into two sexes, male right. and female, and that biology, <laughs> and biology and science from time on in has proven that. Yeah. Uh, and especially for, for someone who grew up on a dairy farm, who was uh, uh, well-versed in animal husbandry, it takes a bull and a heifer in order to make that next generation of cows. True. And we knew better than to mix up the names. And now here, humanity is at this uh, politically correct place where uh, we're taking individuals that are suffering uh, perhaps from, from known diagnosable psychiatric, uh, psychiatric illnesses uh, like gender dysphoria, where I or, or you, Richard, would all of a sudden one day become confused and say, I'm, I'm not, a, I'm not a, a male member of the species, I'm a female member of the species, and therefore all other teachers, social workers, law enforcement businesses now have to participate in my dysphoria uh, uh, at, the, at the point of a gun. Again, uh, Harper's Ferry, uh, right there where you're, you're broadcasting from, has a city ordinance that says if you fail to call someone by their preferred pronouns or, or uh, misgender an individual, then you're in violation of city ordinance. You don't pay the fines for that. They incarcerate you. Well, wow. so, yeah, actually, so, I'm in Shenandoah. Address Harper's Ferry, but uh, close enough. Close enough. <laughs> you're, you're up on the mountain, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a great, a beautiful place there through Shenandoah. I've uh, been there many times. But so, uh, what, what, what the voters who are who are going to watch us today um, need to know is that. Um, I am the only candidate running for United States Senate in the Republican Party, well, the only candidate in either party, that believes that, um, that Nancy Pelosi's Fairness Act that, that uh, passed out uh, of, uh, of the House uh, last year, uh, that would take, take Harper's Ferry's ordinance and make it a federal law nationwide where if you dared 
misgendered someone, then it becomes a civil rights violation of which you go to prison for. Yeah. So, okay. Senator Capito and I differ on this. And when constituents asked her specifically, uh, are you in favor of this bill? Uh, her response, her two responses to constituents, her written responses were, well, um, I don't think anybody should be discriminated against. Mm. Um, and uh, then later on, she said, well, let's wait and see what it looks like when it comes out of the Senate committee. No, no, no. There is nothing about that egregious bill that should be given a moment's consideration for anyone who says they're conservative and for anyone who's attempting to uphold the Republican platform. The Republican platform speaks very clearly that marriage is created uh, for, uh, for, for one biological male and one biological female for life. That is, right. that is the Republican Party's position. That is not Senator Capito's position. And uh, Senator Capito has gone farther than just making those those uh, generic uh, non-committal statements. But Senator Capito's campaign is run by an individual named um, Kent Gates, who is a known same-sex activist, uh, campaigned uh, uh, voraciously for Prop 8 in California, which uh, are, are against Prop 8. Uh, you know, of course, even California just a few years ago. Yeah, I remember that well. Yeah, we're, we're going to define marriage as one man, one woman, even right. California. And uh, Senator Capito's campaign advisor, many years long, her advisor, was a, a, a voracious uh, activist attempting to defeat that. And, uh, and he's had his influence uh, on, on, on you know, the Harper's Ferry type uh, ordinances around the state as well. So we are not the same kind of Republicans. And um, so uh, the First Amendment is being is under attack in West Virginia. I'm the only candidate running for the United States Senate that says, hey, I will absolutely stand in opposition to any of those types of fascist, fascist activist organizations that want to shut a business down because they want to adhere to biology. Okay. So there's, there's number one. The Second Amendment defends my First Amendment. So I'm an, uh, an avid uh, uh, shooter, gun owner, and um, uh, I hate that we have to have that, that as an option, uh, right. again, back, back to the civility of man, but right now it's where we are, and so I don't want anybody stepping in uh, to West Virginia or any state and saying uh, a, a family uh, is not able to bear arms in order to defend themselves. And then uh, third, we have to have a smaller government. Again, Benjamin Franklin says we hate that we've got to have it, but it's evidence of the failure of man. But since we do have it, let's have as little as possible, as, as little intrusiveness, um, the least amount of intrusiveness that we can have in order to run our businesses. Because, you know, you've got a, a media program here, a media company, uh, Richard, and I think that the government should have as, as light a touch as possible on what you do any given day. Right. Uh, and I think that holds true for any business owner. And it's another area where the, the, the current senator, the current incumbent and I disagree. Uh, she believes that, um, uh, that, that a big government can actually be uh, of benefit uh, to West Virginians. Um, when we had the opportunity to stand behind our current president uh, in, uh, in 2017 to repeal Obamacare, which, right. you know, I, I'm, I'm a, a staunch pro-life conservative. Again, I'm the only 100% pro-life uh, candidate in the race on, in either party. Um, and uh, Planned Parenthood, which is uh, obviously notorious for taking government money 
uh, in the slaughter of the unborn. There were millions of dollars of, of funding for Planned Parenthood in Obamacare, still is. And in 2017, we had the ability, we got it out of the House, got it over to the Senate, and there were four liberal Republicans who would not commit to the straight repeal, and Senator Capitol was one of those. And finally, uh, Senate, Senate Majority Leader uh, Mitch McConnell realized he was not going to have the votes if he brought it to the floor. It was going to fail and humiliate the president, so he had to withdraw it. And Senator Capitol was one of the four that wouldn't wouldn't cross over, that wouldn't do the right thing. Right. So even later on, when they attempted the repeal and replace bill, she for weeks would not publicly commit to to voting for. Uh, that repeal and replace, which was much weaker than just a straight repeal. Um, I, along with West Virginians for Life, joined together in a joint press release, an open letter to the senator uh, in 2017 and said, listen, if you are unwilling to vote yes on this, then all options have to be on the table in the primary in 2020. It's the first time ever our two organizations, that, that Life organization and mine, uh, issued any case, the only time we've ever issued a joint press release. At uh, Hoppy Kirchival uh, on uh, on the Metro News Radio mm -hmm. uh, interviewed the the senator just a few minutes after we released that that press release and caught her off guard. She still was unwilling to commit to to voting one way or the other. And what we what we now know is that, of course, history told us that Senator John McCain came in with his famous thumbs down and and killed the repeal and replace. So we still have Obamacare. Right. Word began to circulate earlier that morning that Senator McCain uh, was going to join with uh, Jeff Flake and a couple of the others, uh, and and, um, and 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 so we were the Republicans weren't going to have enough votes to even do the repeal and replace. It was Obamacare was going to remain, uh, and once that word began to circulate, only after that in the halls of, of the U.S. Senate did Senator Capito then finally vote for the repeal and replace when it really wasn't going to make any difference. Uh, and perhaps she voted for it specifically for this primary election uh, as political cover. So uh, the, the big three that you asked me earlier on, one, the, the First Amendment has to be defended. We have to have the right to bear arms in the Second Amendment to defend that. And then thirdly, uh, we have to have the, uh, the, the ability to shrink our government down to the point where other than on safety concerns or uh, to make sure that we don't have unfair business practices where you know a, a monopoly is stepping on a little guy, uh, we need to we need to pare this down as much as we can. Okay, so something related to like since the I'd say the last two decades there are a lot of assaults on the constitutional rights, and um, I know that fairly recently there was a bill to like defund the NSA you know, National Security Agency surveillance program, which, you know, collects basic data on everything everybody does. And then there was just an interesting interview with Pat Robertson of 700 Club. Um, uh, Mr. Binney, William Binney was talking about, he was a former, uh, well, he was a director there, I think a director of security, that actually they illegally surveil people, find out stuff about them, then lie in court and say they don't, and then say they got it from some other means. So my short question is, if you are elected, would you vote to defund such act, uh, like the NSA activity, that activity? Oh, I'm gonna be absolutely on the side of defunding any criminal behavior in the name of the government. Uh, when our founding fathers uh, put that 
what I think is the, the second greatest document ever written behind the, the Holy Bible, the, the United States Constitution. Uh, this thing is absolutely brilliant. And, and it's only been changed you know, just 20 or so sometimes uh, you know, in, its, in its history. But they could not have envisioned the technological accomplishments uh, that uh, digitally that the society has now uh, brought to bear. And things like, um, like the NSA, uh, uh, things like Facebook that, that uh, have gathered so much data about average citizens who just voluntarily handed a lot of it over, but then uh, just through uh, uh, herd tactics, you know, the, the Facebook is a dangerous, dangerous thing. Uh, when, when you can completely ruin someone's life forever by exposing, you know, uh, just simple things like what's on your grocery list um, and, or, and, and the government then has access to those types of tools. Uh, Richard, my goodness, I'm not a conspiracy theorist until I have to be. Right. <laughs> and this is certainly one of those areas where, um, where we're going to have to rein in uh, these types of, of access to, to free wielding government officials uh, I mean, you would actually have to go, you know, a hundred years ago or even 50 years ago, and you have to send detectives out. You have to have to send G men out, you know, government men out to, to search through your trash cans, uh, to, to find out if you were up to no good or, or if, or, or just to, to surveil you. Now, virtually every American is surveilled in some way. I mean, uh, there'll be government, government officials that'll probably watch this broadcast just to see if we're saying anything too radical. And that's got, that's got to stop. I'm most certainly on the side of reining all that in. Okay. I had another like, related question. And this has to do with the issue of forced vaccination, which on the state level, I guess you're aware there's the issue of mandating vaccines for school attendance. And on the national level, especially now with the COVID-19, we're hearing talk of having to have a card, saying you're immunized, perhaps. Mr. Gates says he wants to immunize, uh, I should say not immunize, but va uh, vaccinate every person on earth, because that doesn't actually guarantee immunity. But anyway, and so would you, you know, if it ever came up on a national level, I know it's primarily handled in the states, would you um, support or oppose what I call forced or mandatory vaccination? Well, um, thankfully, in West Virginia, in 1994, we passed a law that uh, that gave our citizens, uh, you know, a religious exemption. Uh, if, but we uh, don't have a religious exemption in West Virginia. Well, we've got we've got some uh, we've got pretty close to it. And so, um, if uh, if you're a citizen who uh, who's willing to readily bow down to a federal government that tells you what you can and can't put into your body. Um, I'm going to challenge you right there. Um, I, I've never been kind of the person that would just go along with the flow. I'm always a why person. Uh, I need to understand why you're having me do this. And uh, there certainly can be an argument made for, listen, we've got, you know, we have known pathogens, measles and mumps and some of those types of things that, uh, uh, that vaccinations certainly help to defend us against. But we have to look at it from the, uh, a bigger a bigger perspective. Um, individual freedom is, is what makes America, America. 
you don't get to have individual freedom in, in countries like China. Matter of fact, in China, they have this expression that, that goes something like, uh, uh, your creativity uh, and individuality is causing me problems. Well, that's, the, that's antithetical to Americanism, which is, hey, I came, uh, you know, our, our ancestors, our forefathers came to this country to live freely. And it'll be up to me to take care of me. It'll be up to me to defend myself against bears and against, uh, you know, ruffians and against pathogens. And so I'm a big believer in individual freedom on these types of things. But, um, uh, but I do know that uh, with freedom comes, comes responsibility. And that's what we call liberty. Absolute freedom is anarchy. And I'm not for that. And liberty is kind of freedom with some guide rails on it. So I would look very carefully at anything where the government is forcing the entire populations to engage in, um, and uh, and right. vaccination is being one of those. Okay. So a related question is, in 1986, there was a National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act passed, and that um, has basically removed liability for pharmaceutical companies from being sued. And instead, we have the so-called vaccine court. The intention of the law was originally we'd have the vaccine court, which has given out more than $4.2 billion of compensation for injuries. So there's no question that vaccines can and do injure and kill. But the point about it is that there's been a proliferation of vaccines due to the removal of liability. And that resulted from changes made through amendment to that bill and also a 2011 Supreme Court decision. So the short question is, would you support putting in um, the ability again to like for parents or people who are injured to sue pharmaceutical companies? And um, yeah, that's the main thing as in like an amendment to that, to that act. Would you support that? And also- I would, especially in scenarios or maybe just limited to scenarios where uh, in order to access public funds, like um, uh, like to attend a public school, uh, you're basically boxed into a scenario where you're going to have to get your child this specific uh, vaccination. Yeah, and some have aborted fetal cells, as you probably know. Right. I, I am aware that there's still a couple of lines out there that are used for various purposes that were started back in the uh, late 70s and 80s. Uh, but uh, I think we've gotten away from from most of those. I work with uh, a, you know one of the national pro-life organizations, uh, Americans United for Life, which are experts on all of these things. So uh, they keep us uh, up to date and in, in the loop on, uh, on on what kind of testing is done and 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 what uh, what uh, vaccinations are still out there that are using these types of things. And thankfully, most of those uh, have gone by the wayside. But yeah, if there's a, if there's injury where you've been forced basically into a scenario where you had no other choice but to vaccinate, then sure, I would vote for that amendment. Okay, yeah, I guess the, and this is obviously, you can see something that's important to, um, uh, yeah, I'm very interested in. And I think it is, it's a major issue that is related to like the constitutional issues we see even now during the COVID-19 of restriction on freedoms. Another one is like a related one, would you support like, having safety studies for any upcoming vaccine saying there have to be independent safety studies against like unvaccinated populations meaning right now most people don't know no vaccine literally literally none has ever been tested for the overall effect of mortality in other words no one knows if it kills more people than it helps 
And yet states like West Virginia mandate these vaccines and they're also recommended by the CDC. So would you support like some, and CDC is not impartial, having safety studies before vaccines release to show that actually it is more beneficial harmful, which they do not do now and have resisted vehemently. And, you know, even for the ones that are currently on the market, having those safety studies, because right now they're just not there. Uh, absolutely. The, the more information the public has, uh, the better. And uh, I mean, my goodness, we have to have safety studies done on new types of staplers that sit on your desk. Uh, how much more do we need safety information on something that's going to be forced through a syringe into your bloodstream? Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, that's a good thing. Yeah, I hope in West Virginia, I know you're running for the U.S. Senate, but we're trying to fix our West Virginia laws, too, because we don't, we don't have the religious exemptions. Frankly, I don't think, you know, vaccines should be mandatory, period. I mean, I'm not against them, personally, but I think, it, like we're saying, it's a pers uh, our individual responsibility. It's a different thing to say your kids don't have access to school unless. That's forced vaccination. Well, I work at the, at the state capitol as a lobbyist, um, and have had for years, and, um, and these issues come up uh, almost, almost every year. And, and right now, there's not been a lot of momentum in the last two or three years uh, to address anything vaccination related. But you know, I'm, I'm now running for the United States Senate, uh, hopefully to have an influence uh, nationwide on, um, on all this health policy. I'm a, a former executive uh, for uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield. So these are all areas that I've been uh, in and around for many, many years. I've been involved uh, to some degree with the CDC, uh, even since my college days. So um, I, I'm, I'm thankful that we've got, uh, that we've got uh, a current administration that is, uh, is concerned about, uh, about these types of things. You, we, we have we have the president's ear, we have the administration's ear on these types of things, and uh, they're definitely leaning more towards a freedom-based uh, worldview than a uh, let's control everybody's life worldview, which is what we're going to have with uh, the Democrats who have basically become socialists. Yeah, so, I, I hope um, so, but let me interject one. I know I'm cutting off a little. I am concerned, and I, of course I like the freedom-based view and you know, what, what President Trump is doing. But I am very concerned about uh, Dr. Fauci and those guys because they're really conflicted with the whole agenda of getting money from the Bill Gates Foundation, funding the Wuhan lab that allegedly released the vaccine. And yeah, here's the guy making our policy. And then President Trump is saying he's operation, I forget the name, pushing the vaccine. I'm kind of worried. Have you thought about that? Well, I, I have, and uh, the, the short answer to encapsulate all of that is that there's three or four times too many employees in Washington, D.C. that live off of the public dole. And uh, I'm not a fan of Dr. Fauci. Uh, you know, those are individuals that have been left over from previous administrations. Um, you know, there, there is a move uh, right now, even among uh, some of my colleagues in, in Washington, D.C., to slide out of the activist positions where they've been and over onto the government payroll positions because they are protected. They, they basically can't be, most of them, they're not appointed, I mean, that are, they're non-appointed positions. 
you basically can't fire these people. And, and that's problematic. And the average American that's yeah. willing to just sit back and listen to everything that comes off of every podium and, and believe it's true, well, uh, that's a terrible idea no matter what country you're in. And America's not impervious to having people that are in Washington, D.C., simply because there's a lot of sizzle. That's one of the things when you start to see a career politician, very much like uh, my, my opponent, Senator Capito, she... Uh, uh, she's been there now coming up on uh, 18, 19 years. And I'm, I'm not a term limits guy because I believe it's more difficult for conservatives to replace a good conservative than it is for liberals to find another liberal. I think that it's a matter of the First Amendment right of free speech. If Richard, you and I want to continue to elect our same uh, magistrate you know, year after year after year uh, because they're doing a great job, I don't want to be forced to go out and find a new person. Uh, same way with my United States senators. So I believe it's up to the people. Uh, and so just because someone's been there for forever doesn't necessarily mean it's bad. But you know that that absolute power corrupts absolutely. And uh, and I believe that it's it's time for a change. And, and look, I, I've got a pair of parachute pants and a tiny little skinny leather tie left over from my 80s prom. <laughs> But but I don't still wear it um, because it's from the 80s. And in West Virginia, we are continuing to elect names, you know, like Manchin and Capito, et cetera, et cetera, names that are left over from the 80s that maybe we should look towards the 2020s as opposed to looking backwards for our leadership. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I, I would agree with that. Um, yeah, definitely. Well, well, did you have any final thoughts you wanted to share with, with our viewers? I, I think you've differentiated yourself. And um, yeah, but the thing about the like constitutional freedoms, also the forced vaccination issue, by the way, there was some movement here in West Virginia. I've been actively working on an issue with like West Virginia's health freedom and other groups. There were several bills they in the West Virginia. I know you're running for Senate, but just since you mentioned, you know, you're working uh, as an uh, activist. They were, but they, and I researched it like for 20, I researched it back more than two decades or like 33 bills for vaccine exemptions in West Virginia. One of them in nine, I think 93 passed the Senate, but not the House. But, and they're almost always like 100%, 99.999, killed in like the health committee. They never see the light of day. But there were a number of bills introduced, but they never saw the light of day. They never get to vote on the floor. I'm pretty confident they would pass the West Virginia House and have a good shot in the Senate, but they never see the light of day. It's very frustrating. Anyway, I don't know if you have any comment on that. Well, I, I don't really. Um, you know, every year there's a, you know, a couple of thousand bills that are introduced. Most of them don't see the light of day. Um, and the West Virginia, uh, legislature is uh, technically it's controlled. All three uh, all three houses are controlled by Republicans. Technically, even though the governor was elected as a Democrat and then changed parties, um, but uh, our leadership in the Senate, they're by no means you and I, Richard. They're by, they're by no means uh, conservatives who are concerned about these issues. Um, you know, there's probably not five Republican senators. Uh, in the state of West Virginia that are concerned about vaccinations. And there's probably only about 25 members of the House that would be concerned. So we don't have the right people in place to even address this issue. So yeah, we, we can get one friendly uh, legislator to introduce you know, uh, 
50 bills, but they're not going to go anywhere until we change the makeup of the legislature uh, within the state of West Virginia. But to, to kind of give you a, a, a summation uh, of, uh, of my race for the United States Senate now, okay. um, we must defend small business owners' rights, First Amendment rights to free speech, to be able to operate their businesses according to their belief structures. That's how America was founded. And right now, uh, we've got a senator in place that's not willing to take the lead on any of that. As a matter of fact, she's on the wrong side of these issues. Two, uh, uh, you sound like you're a, a, a conservative guy, Richard, that you're, you're up on the, the issues. You're probably you know, very astute. And you run a, a you know a, a media a company there, and where you're trying to spread the word to, to voters, you know what? That makes you a little suspicious sounding to the government uh, and to liberals, uh, in all likelihood. And so um, you're gonna at some point, hopefully you won't, but perhaps at some point you're gonna need to defend yourself to the Second Amendment. And you maybe you own firearms, I don't know, but I'm a firearms owner. Well, most certainly. Uh, you shouldn't have your firearms removed from you because of this broadcast, because of your views, because of, uh, of controversial statements perhaps you might have made or your guests might have made. And the, the ability for law enforcement to come over and without any due process, uh, uh, take your firearms because someone has watched your show and raised what we know as a red flag, um, those things must never happen in this country. And my opponent, Senator Capito, just uh, in the fall, uh, it was after that terrible shooting out in El Paso at the Walmart and a lot of people perished. Uh, Senator Capito was asked by a reporter, hey, what are, are we going to pass some more gun restrictions? What about, what about red flag laws where people can raise a red flag? Senator Capito said, we're going to get back as quick as we can, and we're going to take a really hard look at that. Mm. No. No, Richard, the, the Second Amendment says it shall not be infringed. And just because someone might have raised a red flag, one of your viewers who doesn't like your, you know, your guests, uh, or, or they don't like your opinions on vaccinations, um, should not be able to call law enforcement, raise a red flag, and they come over without any due process and remove your firearms, that is unconstitutional. I'm the only candidate who, who openly opposes those things. Uh, and then, uh, you know, finally, the, uh, the, the, the simple concept that the government is here to save you, that you can rely to have your, your health and your wealth and your welfare all taken care of by uh, elected and non-elected uh, bureaucrats you know, uh, in, in Washington, D.C., that, that's not something that, that sits well with me. Uh, it put me into the race because we didn't have a Republican senator or a senator of any kind in West Virginia who, who uh, was willing to stand up and take those bold positions. So, yeah, I'm taking on a well-known and historically well-liked uh, Republican incumbent. And uh, a lot of the Republican establishment scoffed at me. How dare you take on our beloved senator? Well, her record is terrible on many of these issues. Right. Uh, she, she's open and bold about them. Um, there are a dozen or so conservative organizations in Washington, D.C. who rank all of our elected members of Congress. And the highest, the highest one uh, that's conservative, the American Conservative Union, only has her ranked at 68.2%. From there, 
they fall off to 50 and 40 and 30 and some even 20% conservative. So I believe that uh, West Virginia deserves better than a D minus. Uh, for their Republican center when it comes to a, a conservative score. And so I, uh, I stepped up and said, uh, Lord, send me. And so here I am. Okay. Well, I thank you very much for being on. And, uh, you know, this will be available through our uh, video and podcast. And I hope lots of people see it. And because we do, like you said, I think it is key. We do need to, you know, elect informed, godly people. And um, I really appreciate you coming on the show today. And, you know, we're very glad to have you. Well, hey, I'm glad to be on, Richard. And, and you get the honor of seeing my, uh, my, my quarantine beard for the last time because it's going <laughs> to go away tomorrow. So, okay. <laughs> thank you All very right. much. Okay, we're well, going to uh, end this interview. I do uh, thank you for joining us and all the viewers for joining us. I'm Richard Erber, reporting for Historic Harper's Ferry. And we will uh, see you next time on the Richard Urban Show. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye.